Leonard Cohen's decision to abandon his modestly successful career as a writer and a poet at the age of 32 in order to become a singer is so profoundly strange that attempts to explain it tend to be either banal or fantastic. On the one hand, some of Cohen's biographers have suggested that he picked up a guitar when he realized that entertainers were far more handsomely compensated than poets. It's a plausible premise, but it leaves Cohen in the position of being clueless enough to believe that, as an older man, Elvis, born a few months after Cohen, had already become a star and served in the army and made terrible movies and retired from show business by the time Cohen first announced his musical aspirations. With a nasal voice, he could simply march down to Manhattan and become a singing sensation. Cohen was always audacious about his career, but he was never naive. Money might have played a part in his decision, but it was very likely not the only or even the central one. What made him sing? As is the case with all seminal moments in his life, Cohen, when asked, had a fanciful explanation at the ready. He was, he told an interviewer a decade later, in Toronto's King Edward Hotel. It was the summer of 1965, and he was sitting on the bed and reading a few new poems out loud to a lady friend. The door to the adjoining room was left ajar, and Cohen and his companion could see the couple next door, naked, making love. They could hear them, too. Amused by the spectacle, Cohen began to sink his words with a couple's moaning and groaning, and was immensely pleased with the result. I think I'm going to record myself singing my poems, he told his companion. Please don't, she replied. A much more likely story involves not sex, but Dylan. Sometime in 1965, Cohen discovered the young Jewish poet, nearly a decade his junior, and was immensely drawn to Dylan's cryptic, haunting lyrics. In his interview with Adrian Clarkson, he took the time, apropos of nothing, to cite the line from Dylan's Mr. Tambourine Man about fading into one's own parade. By the time he attended a drunken gathering of Canada's poets, one week after New Year's Day of 1966, Dylan was all he wanted to talk about. The party was held at F.R. Scott's house. It started at noon with lunch, progressed with copious drinking, slowed down for dinner, and then rocketed into more drinking and merriment. Layden was there, as were Dudek, Al Purdy, and Ralph Gustafsson, the editor of an influential anthology of Canadian poetry. The guests had been summoned by a lyrical invitation, carefully composed by Scott, which playfully worked in the titles of the various literary magazines they had all started. It reflected the evening's purpose, not merely a party, but a celebration of the rarest bird in Canada's cultural skies, a cohesive group of poets influencing and enriching one another. But Cohen wasn't in the mood for poetry. At some point, he took out his guitar and posed a question. What are these poets doing, he asked, all writing poetry the way they used to. Do you know who the greatest poet in America is? Who, asked somebody. Bob Dylan, Cohen declared. No one in the room had any idea who Dylan was. Don't you know, Cohen cried out, he's already made a million dollars.